This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton, currently in Las Vegas, Nevada, and you're listening to Endurance Day on Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 11th. This is episode 847. This episode is brought to you by Action Rider Tack. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge, you're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love, but don't fence me in. Let me be by myself. That's right. It's Endurance Day with Karen Chatton here on Horses in the Morning. We thank you for joining us this morning. Good, Welcome back, Karen. Good morning. Well, You're in Vegas, huh? You, you go to Vegas, Vegas. I'm, I'm play or, or work? Um, play or well, work. I just did an endurance ride down here called okay. Eastern Mojave Scenic, which was uh, four days and 200 miles. I rode each of my horses 100 miles on it. So 200 for both, you know, the total. Well, I want to hear more about that as we go on the show. We, we do have a, a lot of things planned. But, you know, yesterday I gave my daily winnie out to everybody that lived in the Northeast. And I just have to say to you people, move or something, because it's a horrible <laughs> winter. Because let me tell you what, did, I don't know if you saw it being out in Vegas, that they're expecting another, now this time a nor'easter that's supposed to put an, another inch of ice on Atlanta and the Ooh. Carolinas. Atlanta has already shut down the schools ahead of it. They've already told people to stay wow. home from work because they don't want another disaster like last time. And uh, then in the northeast, they're expecting a major, another major snowstorm with up to a foot or two feet of snow. So they just have not caught a break. Oh, my gosh. You know, and you live in snow. You know, you live in a little bit of snow country, don't you? Where you live in uh, yes, Nevada's right. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and I heard they had really strong winds while I was gone. And oh darn, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be down in warm Las Vegas. And you know what? Darn if you're going to go to Vegas, this is the time of year. This is the most beautiful time to be in Vegas, don't you think? It is. It's. It is. It's beautiful, and we really lucked out with weather for the ride. Each day it got better. started out the first day, we did get some rain, and it was maybe around the 50-degree range, and uh, it was a little bit breezy. And then each day it got a little warmer and uh, more sunny. It was a really nice, you know, we were really fortunate to have the weather as good as it was. I know this is off topic, but I'm curious because when we went hiking out in the Red Rock Canyon above Vegas, one of the things they warn Mm -hmm. you about is flash floods and being down in the gullies because you basically can get washed out and not even know there's a storm, you know, uh, north of Uh you. 
So my question is, do you, are you aware of that when you endurance ride in areas like that, the flash floods that can happen there? Actually, I've been on a few rides over the years where that's happened, where, you know, the, the creek bed or the wash or whatever is totally dry, and then a storm comes in, and then pretty soon it's flowing two feet deep um, quite fast. So, yeah, you need to be aware of that and know how to get out of the way if you need to. But on the ride we were on... That really wasn't a problem. They'd say not to hike in the washes, you know, for that reason, because there could be a thunderstorm that you don't see, you know, way way upstream. Uh, and right. You're hiking where it's dry, and all of a sudden it ain't dry anymore. So it's it, that uh, happen. Wow, it's interesting. A lot of things, so mm-hmm. many things you have to think about, and worry about when you're an endurance rider. There are, like for one example, on the last ride. The owner of the property where we're camped, he owns a small airplane, and he flew out <laughs> from the airport in Vegas to camp, and um, he did a couple of rollover flybys around camp, and apparently some of the horses um, didn't quite like that. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Arabs no. are not all of them are real fond of low-flying aircraft, huh? <laughs> No, well, you know, it's all an experience. Now, that's one more thing they've been exposed to, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, hot air balloons is something that gets a lot of horses, too, when they fly over and they turn the burners on. Uh, you know, sure. And I'm sure you've run into hot air balloons in some of the rides you've done. I have, uh-huh. And, of course, they go up in the valley I live in all the time on a regular basis. So we're used to seeing hot air balloons. Huh, interesting. Well, what's coming up on today's show, Jennifer? On today's Clink Action Rider Track Endurance episode, following a few Endurance Rider Defining Nuggets from Karen, we will visit with Connie Berto for a chat about why she loves endurance riding so much and some of her favorite rides. And then next up, Barbara White provides an update on conditions for the upcoming Tevis Cup race following the devastating fires in that part of the country in 2013. And in the third half of the show, we will look at green bean groups. And no, it's not a vegetarian group. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm anxious <laughs> to hear about that. I have no idea what that is. So, uh, Karen, you went out for a couple of rides. You brought both, brought both horses along. Tell us about uh, where you rode and what, what the terrain was like. Well, we're in the Mojave Desert, basically, and we ride through a lot of cacti and Joshua trees, and it goes between really excellent sandy footing and really rocky footing. And, we're, you know, it um, goes up and down quite a bit. There's some elevation on some of the days, and we ride around a bunch of old mines. Uh, just really neat country, really pretty back there. If you're driving along the interstate, you would never know, you would never realize how beautiful the desert can be. It's a lot of fun. We had around 50 riders each day, and they could choose between doing a limited distance ride, which was anywhere from 25 to 35 miles, or the 50. And I did the 50. Um, I alternated my horses. I'm getting Bo, I think, ready to do a one-day 100 at the end of the month. And Chief, I'm just um, you know, alternating and riding him. He's getting older now. He's going to be 19 this year. And I've had him on a diet. Well, actually, his diet kind of 
been a full-time permanent thing with him because he keeps his weight so well. But we've really been strict with it for the last few months. And I've got his weight down a little bit. He's actually looking really good. And um, I think it's paid off on this ride. His recoveries were better. And even with his hairy winter coat, he did really well on the ride. The last day we managed to somehow finish in sixth place. Well, that says something for your care and upkeep to have a horse that's uh, 19 years old that's still doing the endurance distances that he's going. Exactly, and he's the old um, highest mileage horse still competing. He's got over 14,000 miles. And people like to, you know, they ask me about Bo, um, is he your new horse? And I says, yeah, he's, he's the new one. He's only got almost 8,000 miles. <laughs> <laughs> now, will you... Will you start looking for a third one at this point, knowing that the 19-year-old is going to be on his way out at some point over the next year or two? I, I'm not right now because I really want to focus my attention on on these two horses and not get diverted because I feel like then I would probably spend too much of my time with the new with the new horse. And I think these horses both have some more time left. There's There were horses on the ride and they're, you know, that were 20, 21, 22, and they're still going. And, you know, Bo's only 15, so, you know, hopefully he'll have five more years, and hopefully Chief will have another one or two, or you never know. We'll just take it, you know, one ride at a time, and and hopefully they're going to keep hanging in there for a while. They're both doing well. Well, I, I, well, that's that's terrific. You know, I, there have been some event horses that have competed at the higher levels all the way up to 20. Um, mm-hmm. but my pony, geez, I drove my one pony until she was probably in her early 30s. And, you know, mm-hmm. other than putting some professional choice boots on, that's all she okay. really needed. And she would go. She loved to drive. Yes, we yeah. got, I came down to the ride a couple of days early, and so I was able to go and mark some trail with Chief. And, you know, that's a lot of fun. I really enjoy getting to do that. I think almost as much as the competition because then I'm just usually out there with one other person and we don't have to worry about, you know, anything really. It's, you know, we don't have to be back by a certain time. There's no other horses out there. You know, so our horses that we're riding tend to be a little bit, you know, more laid back and we get to, you know, see the country and it's just us. It's like our own world. So that's, that's a lot of fun. We, we uh, enjoyed getting to do that before the ride started. What kind of terrain? I imagine you're out there in the desert. You go from sand to rocks to a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. You sure do. And um, the fun part, when we mark the trail, we have to mark on a lot of the Joshua trees. And luckily, I don't um, have to help with unmarking because when you try to get the clothes pins off of the Joshua trees, you're going to get poked. (laughs) (laughs) I keep forgetting that somebody has to go out and mark the course. You know, I keep forgetting that. Yes, it's a lot of work marking and unmarking it and put, you know, putting it together logistically. Why don't they just go out with like four wheelers to mark the course? Wouldn't that be faster? Or can't you get some of the places? Well, you can't. In fact, a lot of the area we ride in, no motorized vehicles are allowed. That's why we have to mark it with horses. That's interesting. And and so that's the other great thing is nobody gets to see some of this part of the country that we do from horseback. We're really fortunate. 
Well, it does sound like fun, and I see some of your pictures, and it's just amazing. I mean, you see some vistas that uh, that 99.9% of other people never see. Mm-hmm. It's just some some amazing views that you get while riding through the endurance rides. That is that is one of yep. the really cool parts of what you do. Yep. And let's let's go. Let's do this. You remember last show? And by the way, if if you missed the last episode, uh, believe it or not, it's been almost a month. It was on January the fourteenth, and Karen started. You wrote a a, a list, and it was the top. Uh, training or it was the it was endurance tips and it was you might just be an endurance rider if if. (laughs) yeah you might just be an endurance rider if it was a list that you put together and we did half Mm -hmm. of them when you were on the show last time and i thought we'd do the other half today because it was such a fun list and and endurance riders can really appreciate this so right we've got the top 10 left to go all right let's do it all right okay um, this is number 10. You spend more money in a season on hoof boots or horseshoes than most people spend on their tack, their rig, and their horse combined. Yet agonize over an $80 pair of shoes for yourself that will last you a year. I think that's pretty true of all horse people, don't you? Especially all horsemen. Jennifer, well, when's the last time you one, bought an $80 pair of shoes? That, right. That, that I know. We're not from a tack shop? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think if we took a poll, like 90% of the women in our audience have not bought themselves an $80 pair of shoes. Right, right. But their horses, you know, have $180 pairs of shoes. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And you guys, now I know you use Renegade Hoof Boots as one of our great sponsors here, but how Uh often do you have to buy new ones? Do they last you half a season? Well, it depends. Um, I rotate them around just kind of like you would tires on a vehicle between different feet on the horses and also in, even in between or between really? my two horses. Uh-huh. But the materials, the newer materials that they're using on these boots, I've had a um, pair of them last for easily a 1,000 miles. Wow. And, See, it's um, so I, funny I just, when, to hear you talk because you talk in the terms of miles. We don't think like that. When riding horses. Uh huh. Okay. You know what I mean? Right, uh, right. Yeah. Endurance riders, the yeah. only ones that think in miles. We think in I rode for an hour or two, you know, or, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> all right, go ahead. We ride all day. Okay, on to number nine boulders. You, you haven't seen any boulders. Oh, you mean those big rocks about one foot in diameter that you and your horse just climbed over for the last two miles? Heck, that's just gravel. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh huh. Okay, number eight. You are the only horseback riding competitor in the entire horse world to happily spend $100 on an entry fee only to get a t shirt as a prize and actually be thrilled about it. <laughs> and, and actually, and it's more than the saddle for 12 hours. Exactly, and it's actually more than a hundred because you, you kind of have to add in your fuel costs. So, you, you know, I had a friend that came down to the ride up from where I live, and he probably spent four or five hundred dollars to get two T-shirts. <laughs> Ooh, I know, and that's true. We were talking about that yesterday. 
of what it costs to, to even go and uh, enter an event or a CDE or anything uh-huh. in the horse world, you know, you're going to spend, if, if you're going and you have to stay overnight, you're going to spend 500 to to $1,000 to go to any event now. And, so, and nobody wins any money except the uh, rainers and the jumpers. So if, unless you're raining right. and jumping, you're not winning any money. <laughs> you're done. Right. Yeah, you don't make any in endurance either. Most average riders don't anyway. No. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Okay. Cool. Number seven, you only buy clothing that is bug-proof, wind-proof, water-proof, sun-proof, and can be used to ride in. <laughs> <laughs> What do you what do you wear out on the trail? Um, do you wear long sleeve those long sleeve technical shirts just to? For I the sun do. Pre- That's pretty much all yeah. I wear to ride in is long sleeve sun shirts, and then I've got the big visor, the the brim visor on my helmet, and I use a um, ton of sunscreen, and um, the riding boots I use are usually Ariat's or Merrell's. I like Merrell. Um, you know, like hiking shoe boot type um, hybrid things. They're not really um, a full hiking boot and not really quite a tennis shoe, but they have a really good tread for when you get off and hike, you know, up and down the hills and the rocks and stuff. So, yeah, we're just, you know, most of the clothing endurance riders use it anymore is kind of getting more and more high-tech all the time. Paddock boots, you know, paddock boots aren't really great for you guys, are they? Because Not the really. They usually don't. Right. They usually don't have enough tread for yeah. the parts where you do want to get off on foot and do a little bit. And most riders do get off at least occasionally and and do some leading when the um, trail gets you know maybe more technical or they just want to give themselves and their horse a break. Yeah, and and you know paddock boots. If you, if it's wet at all, you're gonna you're gonna slip on rocks. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, like the ride I just did, last year we woke up one morning to snow. And so next thing you know, you're out there riding in the snow. So, you know, you want to have something that's going to keep your feet warm. And then later in the day it warms back up and the snow melts off. But now it's muddy. Right. <laughs> a little bit of quite a bit of variety. And so that's why having, you know, buying the, um, you know, the, types of clothing and boots and stuff that hikers use and a lot of outdoor sports we use works great for endurance riders. Terrific. All right. Okay. Number six, you know how to pack every one of life's essentials on your saddle, on your person, and on your horse. This would include toilet paper, food, water, first aid, maps, extra clothing, glow sticks, and a GPS. You're the only discipline that has to pack toilet paper. <laughs> really? <laughs> the only one. <laughs> and probably I mean, a GPS, too. There's probably not too many that really need that either. Or would no, want if, you're going around, if you're going around the event uh, cross-country course and you need a GPS, you shouldn't be eventing. It's probably not a worth <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're not going to have time to look at it either. Right. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> And number five is you actually know what the glow sticks are for. What are they for? (laughs) They're for, well, in the dark, that's how they mark the trail for the 100-mile riders usually, is they hang glow sticks up. And they usually last for, 
long oh. enough till daylight again, and hopefully by then oh. most of the riders have made it in. And and also the glow sticks are handy if you're in camp and you want someone to see your rig in the dark or your horse, you can hang out a glow stick or two so that it kind of makes your um, place a little bit more visible so people don't run into you or something. <laughs> Do you guys buy them by the case or what? I mean, you must. Yes, yes. Yeah. They they do. They buy them in yeah cases, and I'm sure some rides probably put out a few hundred of them. Wow! It must wow. be eerie as you're going through the woods with all those glow sticks hanging up. Right, right. And with hundreds, they can't put them up ahead of time because once you activate them, they're only going to be good for maybe the next 12 hours. So even though the trail's already been marked with the regular markers, somebody still has to go out there you know, late in the afternoon during the ride and add the glow bars. Huh. Wow. It's very <laughs> labor-intensive putting on an event like this, isn't it? It sure can be. Yeah, yeah. All right, hmm. on to number four. The color of your tack is every bit as important as the fit of your tack, although it really shouldn't matter because it's all covered in sheepskin anyway. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Do all riders use sheepskin saddle fleets? They don't. They don't. Many do. And, you know, and it's not always good to have it on when it rains because then you're sitting on a wet sheepskin, and that's no fun. That's true. Uh-huh. I know. But that's there true. are, you know, if you have a sheepskin and you ride in the summer, you can often ride with shorts on, if you, you know, if you want. So there's... There are reasons to use the sheepskin. And it's also people use it on parts of their tag so that it doesn't rub their horse. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, yep. Okay, number three. This is a good one. (laughs) Your rig costs more than your house, your neighbor's house, and your other neighbor's house all combined. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's only one group that has to be. You have to have the rig because obviously you live in it. You camp a lot. There's one uh-huh. group that has you beat, and that is the drivers because they also have to haul their carriages, and that makes right. it a hassle. Right. Yeah. You yeah. either have to take two rigs or, you know, do something like that. So now the uh-huh. driving endurance riders, they're really screwed. Yes. They, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and um, with us, we also have to figure out how to carry, you know, lots of water and all sorts of other, you know, things that, you know, probably other groups don't need, you know, to have. Do you like have, do. Uh, you put tanks on the on top of the trailer? How do you carry that much water? Um, yes, I have tanks on top on my um, the hay rack, and I've got them built in. I can carry about 200 gallons of horse water. Um, I've got oh. one on the bed of my truck. Um, yeah, you almost can never have too much water because you just, you never know what could happen. Um, you know, you could wake up in the morning, and if everything's frozen, you might not be able to get any water out. So it's always good to have plenty of water and have it where it can be kept from freezing. And I guess multiple sources like you have is better because if something happens and springs a leak, you still have another one that's good. Exactly. That's that's true. Now, do you do you use hard uh, water containers or do you use the bladders? 
I use the hard ones. Okay. No yeah, yeah I, I've seen the bladder, the bladder ones, but with all the conditions we're in, I, I don't really know how well those would hold up to a lot of use. They might be okay. And the other thing, too, is you've got to wash your horses with them, too. I mean, so you've got water for that as well. Yeah, once you're done riding, you need water to, you know, clean whatever. You know, I usually rinse out my girth after I ride. I rinse off my, you know, hoof boots. Um, you know, rinse off anything else of the tack that got all dirty, you know, wash down possibly the horse or at least his legs, get those clean. So you can go through quite a bit of water in a day. Hmm. You know, these are all heavy. things you don't think about unless you, uh, unless you try it once, right? I mean, <laughs> these are uh-huh. all things that you learn the hard way. Uh, exactly, exactly. All I like right, the next on to one, too. Living in Ocala, Florida, this may, this, you see this a lot. <laughs> do you? Yeah, you do this. You see this endurance rides a lot. You swore off wearing spandex in public and now probably sported all weekend in bright colors and wild prints. <laughs> <laughs> are you using, do you use riding tights or are you using more of what the bikers would use? Um, they're actually made for riding tights. There's several companies that make them. Um, I've been riding in crazy legs tights, which are really great because she makes them to your measurements and you can pick whatever print and she's got some wild crazy prints and put them together any way you want you can have the whole tights a wild print or just a stripe on the side or the back of them however you want them designed she can make them that way and they're a lot of fun yeah, and you're you like at this event you're at now. You're you're there for days, so you have to have multiple multiple pairs. You have to think about packing your own clothes too. Exactly. Yes. This is way too much preparation for me to even think about. See, I, I, my ADD <laughs> would kick in while I was packing. I wouldn't have half the stuff. Jennifer and I leave the house just to go into town, and we don't have half the stuff we need. I can't imagine <laughs> us trying to get ready for this. Well, that's that's why we're so lucky when we are able to afford you know, getting a living quarter trailer or a camper or whatever because we pack it and it kind of stays packed perpetually. We just add stuff that we you know use on each trip and replace it so that we're not having to pack everything every single time. Yeah, it would be kind of a pain. And I also know that you're a list person. You're you're a you're a uh, <laughs> you're you're really good at lists. So I, I think that that helps too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that helps. All right. Now we're on to number one. You ask friends and relatives to schedule events such as baby showers, weddings, and parties around your ride schedule. <laughs> True of any horse person that shows. <laughs> I've done that, actually. <laughs> and, or, or you just don't go. I mean, there's a priority. Do you go to somebody's wedding or do you go to a ride? You end up going to the ride. And if they're a horse person, they understand. If they're not, or if it's one of your family members that just doesn't get it, then uh-huh. right? Is there exactly. always exactly? Yeah. I know, I know. You know, do your do your do your families? This is a hard one because a lot of times, if you're showing or competing, if you're doing eventing, if you're doing dressage, if you're doing raining or whatever, you know, your families can come out and watch. You know, your bow racing, uh-huh. they can come out, watch, and actually enjoy it with you. But endurance riding, it's really tough. 
It is usually, especially when the ride is, you know, quite a bit away from where anyone in your family lives. Although there are a few rides near where my family is, and so I often have some of them come and visit. But they can watch the beginning and the end, and that's it, right? Pretty much, they might be able to go to a vet check, Mm -hmm. one of the out vet checks, and hang out and, you know, watch whatever's going on. You know, some people enjoy that, or they can help out. A lot of people like to go and bring their spouses or family members and put them to work, let them help the riders, you know, with the um, hauling out water or holding them, holding their horses for them at a vet check or helping get lunch together. So that's the other nice thing with um, this group of people is everybody's so helpful and everybody, you know, tends to want to contribute something. Well, that's terrific. Where can people find the entire list? By the way, if you missed the first part of that, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and go back to the last episode. Well, I'll get it all posted on my blog. I haven't done that. I've been busy writing. (laughs) But I will get that that done, and I'll get it put up on my blog on karenchatton.com. All right, very good. Well, let's talk about your product review for the month, and this is something that that everybody needs, but uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys do. Okay. Well, this month I selected Mylar Bids. I've been using Mylar Bids for probably 20 years now on my horses. They do really, really well in them. And the Mylar has a, a, they have a bidding system, which is a graduating system. So as your horse learns and progresses through his training, you can change your bids periodically if, if you need to as you progress. Um, each bid is designed to use select pressure points so that um, you can communicate the best way you can with your horse. And I have found that to be really true. I've been using the combo bit actually on both of my horses. On one, I got a low port mouthpiece. Um, I know with my endurance horses, they tend to have a low port or they need a low port bit because they have a shallow palate and regular bits tend to bump the roof of their mouth, which causes them to throw their head up in the air. And so these low-port Mylar bits are just, like, wonderful. Once I discovered them, I've never even tried another bit ever since. They work just wonderful. And Action Rider Tech has a large selection of Mylar bits and accessories to go with them. They also have a rental program, so you can try a bit, and if it doesn't work, exchange it for one that will work. And they've been really helpful, um, I know, with me in choosing the proper bit for my horses. And they can also help other riders with, um, you know, bit selection. And so if you go to Action Rider Tack, um, search for Myler Bits, and also look for their demo rental program, and they'll be able to help you out. Very good. And, of course, the good folks over at Action Rider Tech wanted to let you know about a couple of products they are highlighting this month. The first is Well Horse, a complete natural product to help almost anything skin-related. An all-natural product, it's made from resins from certain trees that grow in the Amazon rainforest, and it's harvested like maple syrup. Uh, well Horse regenerates tissue on wounds by promoting the formation of new collagen. Well Horse also kills fungal and bacterial microagents on contact without burning or irritating the skin. It works very well and is fast on scratches, dew poisoning, rain rot, ringworm, poison oak, poison ivy, and more. 
Action Rider Tech also carry a good in-house selection of JMS saddle and seat covers, full seat and full saddle covers, stirrups, and fender covers. JMS stands for Just Merino Sheepskin. These are quality sheepskin hides made by a horse person to fit your saddle. They can fit any kind of saddle with a special order, and they have quite a selection in stock, available in black, brown, and natural sheepskin, or colors are available to order. This is a quality product, and they have a fabulous feedback from endurance riders and trail riders for years. For all of these and their other products, visit actionridertack.com or search them on Facebook. The best source for endurance and trail products is actionridertack.com. Do you guys get into, I mean, you guys are probably always getting having to deal with scrapes and cuts and uh, poison and, and all of that stuff out on the trails as well. We are. It's um, amazing all the little things that can happen. Um, and, and I can give a real quick quick tip, um, if I may, on yep. this last ride when I marked trail, I wore my tall boots and happened to get a rub on the inside of my knee really bad. It turned into quite the raspberry. And do you know what I used on it so that I could keep riding? I used well, Preparation 8. Preparation <laughs> 8. <laughs> really? I, that stuff's wonderful. It takes away the, the redness and the swelling and the inflammation. And I just rubbed that on the inside of my knees each night. And I was able to, to ride you know, several hours each day for four days in a row and get through it. And by the end of the ride, it was much, much better than before the ride even started. So that's a great thing to have for riders if they get, you know, kind of like road rash or raspberries on the inside of whatever might rub. Hey, Jennifer, can you contact the Preparation H people and see if we can get them on as a new sponsor? I can see a campaign now. Not just for the butt anymore. <laughs> I will send them a media kit immediately. That sounds okay. like our kind of commercial. We need to get all of them. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Faction Rider Tech, for continuing their support. You, you and Jennifer had an opportunity to do an interview we're going to play here. And, you know, everybody that listens to Horses in the Morning knows Joseph from Equity, MFG.com, the makers of the Shaken Fork and the Flexen Fork, because we, you know, they're our favorite manure forks. We've used them forever. We talk about them all the time. We've had Joseph on the show many, many times. What most of you won't know is about his mom. So his tell us mother. about his mother. Yeah. His mother is Connie Berto, and she's. She, she's just the neatest person. She's such a gem. Anyways, Connie is no, known as being a Centurion endurance writer. She was just on the cover recently of Endurance News with um, a little blurb on it, and it said her age combined with the age of her horse totals 100 years. Whoa. Which, when you think about that, isn't that great? And she's still riding endurance. She's wow. got over 11,000 miles. She's been riding since the 80s. Um, let's see, she's had both of her hips replaced. One of them had to be re-replaced, so technically she's had three hip replacements. She goes to ride. She doesn't have a camper or a living quarter trailer or even a tent. And she's really an inspiration to many riders, especially those that are aging, to keep going and to show that, yes, you can still ride endurance even as you get older into your golden years. We had a great time talking well, let, to her. 
All right, let's hear that interview. Well, welcome to the show, Connie. How are you doing today? Uh, we are doing well, and even better that we had an inch of rain yesterday, or half an inch, I should say. So, oh, good. We're well, congratulations <laughs> on your endurance news cover from September. That was a great shot of you riding your horse, Dusty. Mm-hmm. Yes, and tell, thank tell you. Us, tell us a little bit about Dusty. He is uh, 20 years old. He is of the Brunk family line of horses, which are Midwest breeding. But I bought him right here in Marin County, north of San Francisco, and um, he was kind of runty. <laughs> he had a skin allergy being reared by the bay, and he was allergic to every insect that flew. But there was something about him, and I got him and as a two-year-old, unbroken two-year-old, and we've had so much fun together. And he's a Morgan, correct? Yes, he is. Registered Morgan. His registered name is Echo Stardust. Okay. And on the cover of Endurance News, it mentions that your age and Dusty's age add up to 100 years old. Yes. I was 80 at that time. I'm now 81. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we, good for at, you. At one Wait. of the... Rider, early rides, I think it was one of these um, uh, Cooley Ranch rides, somebody mentioned, oh, you're in the Century Club now. And I just picked that up and ran with it. That uh, our, my age, is, yeah, <laughs> it, it worked out real well. My age and the age of my horse added up to 100. So we are the new Century Club there. <laughs> That's great. And you've inspired many people. I've heard from a couple of my friends that have mentioned that that is their new goal. Good. That's grand. Yes, well, so, tell us. Uh, really, every year you're setting a new record now at this point. Every year <laughs> it's another record. It's awesome. Well, Every as, six months. As, <laughs> uh, we'll do it as long as we can, as long as my horse tells me that, yes, it's okay to, to do this level of training, you know, that's necessary to do the ride safely and complete safely. And uh, But I watch him. I'll be watching him from now on. Well, but, tell, uh, us I, you, tell us how old you are or were when you got started, and how did you get started in endurance riding? Well, I've always been horse crazy, but I was reared overseas where there a little island where there were no horses. My father was in foreign service. And so every time we had a vacation stateside, I would beg for riding lessons. So I have had riding lessons in places, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Central Park, and other places all over the map. And but then I got married, and uh, we had a family. And although I kept up my riding in high school and in college, I didn't own a horse until I was, um, till our youngest of five children started school started first grade and then I got a Morgan mare and we rode all over the place I got her in 1969 and at that point I was um, let's see 36 I was 36 years old and uh, that was my first horse then I heard about the Tevis which is a hundred miles over the Sierra Nevada and mm -hmm. I thought hey that's that's interesting so I knew mischief wasn't up to endurance rides, so I 
looked around for another Morgan, and I found it in GNR Kid Pecos, who was a California bred, and we called him Billy. And I got him and started out. I had two neighbors, fortunately, who were excellent horsewomen, and they pointed me towards endurance rides. Um, oh, I should backtrack a little bit and say that I rode mischief, my Morgan mare, on many NATRC rides. Mm-hmm. And I really recommend NATRC. Uh, back in the East, it's a different set of initials, but it's the same sort of thing. It's a very tightly controlled competitive ride uh, time-wise. Endurance riding, you have a maximum, but you don't have a minimum. Well, in, in, in NATRC, you have both, and you have a judge watching you, how you sit on the horse and take care of him at camp, and you have a veterinarian who judges the horse. And you get a set of cards back, one for each of you, at the mm-hmm. end, and with comments. And <laughs> some of them are pretty revealing, like sat back on horses' kidneys going uphill, that sort of thing. <laughs> and it's a wonderful way to improve yourself and not only to know how to do better, but why you need to do better like Mm -hmm. tying knots and blanketing horses. So when I started out on endurance riding, I had this pretty good foundation of horse care. And uh, so I got Billy, and we did our first 30-mile ride in 1982 down at uh, Davenport, the McCrary rides. I've done so many of those rides, and I loved them. Uh, I loved the rides that Barbara McCrary and Ludd put on Uh down there. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Swanton, we've done those, um, Barley Patch, the Swanton, the uh, 50, the 75, and we've done their their 100-mile um, ride three times. And so anyway, to cut a long story short, Billy and I did the Tevis in 1986. It was our first 100, and we took just about all the time allotted, but we finished, and I was absolutely ecstatic. I had found what I wanted to do, which was to ride over the hills on marked trails. Hmm. And and the other thing that was that I had heard about was the Pony Express rides, riding from Salt Lake City back to Carson City, Nevada, and that sounded like... 750 miles. Seven hundred, Yes. And so uh, we did that in 1991 for the first time. And after the first five-day session, I could hardly wait to get back on the <laughs> Pony Express Trail. Okay. I, uh, I dreamed about it. And so that year we did the whole distance in the three sessions. And Billy just thrived on five-day rides. We did about a dozen or 14 five-day rides of 50 miles each and I had so much fun with him as a Morgan I he was steady he traveled like a rock he ate whatever I put in front of him he drank and wherever I pointed him he went he was absolutely yeah absolutely wonderful well tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your camping setup I am bare bones (laughs) I have a a, a, a truck and a trailer. My truck now is a Tundra. 
I don't have a camper or a tent or a a um, people wow. trailer. It's just a horse trailer, and so I'm pretty bare bones, and I like it that way. It's very simple. I have a cot that I put out in the ground and sleep under the stars and sometimes in the trailer if it's drizzly, and the horse is um, on the other side of the trailer. I have a PVC corral fence that I set up, and my husband, who has been a marvelous support to me all these years. He's not horsey, but he has supported me all along. He fixed up so I could hook it to the side of the trailer, and uh, that's the way I am. So, And I usually don't have a crew anymore. So um, if you get organized and make a list, I have a, a sheet of two sheets, actually. One says horse, and the other says rider. And it's full. <laughs> full of things that I'd better not forget to take along. Like your helmet. (laughs) (laughs) Like my helmet, right. And uh, so I just check off when I pack up, and then we go to the ride. And, of course, I always have a little bit of wine along to help me over, to help me celebrate the completion afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've got a sneaking suspicion. I I know... um one of your family members who makes pitchforks. Oh, yes, that would be our son Joseph in uh, Oregon. He married Diane Quinn, and uh, they are up there on a 110-acre ranch, and he has an Andalusian stallion. He's one of my two children out of five that really took to horseback riding. They board horses, and, uh, and Joseph is an inventor. And one of the things that he invented is a shaken fork, uh, which is specially hard plastic. And if you use bedding, you can press a button, pick up a pile of manure, press a button, and the fork will shake for you. It saves your your own shoulder muscles, and it just does the job quickly and cleanly. Well, tell us about, um, I know you had mentioned previously that you've had both of your hips replaced. Yes. Yes, the first one was in 2007, was my left one, and um, a few years later, I had to have my right one done, and then uh, two years ago, I got a staph infection, which settled on my left hip again, so that was the third hip replacement, but it didn't stop me when I, and I, I had one of the best surgeons in the Bay Area, we're with Kaiser. And when I told him, well, I want to get back on my horse again, he just kind of looked at me and he said, well, hmm, just don't fall off. <laughs> <laughs> so not being a rider himself. But, uh, no, when I could, I went back and got on the horse and um, went right back to riding. And last year we did 650 milers. And uh, my hips are just fine, and I don't think, Anybody should tell you that, no, you've had a hip replacement, therefore you can never ride again or never ride competitively. Don't mm-hmm. listen to that. Of course you can ride. Set your goals and go for it. Yes, and tell us what are your goals for the future? My goals this last year were to get Dusty over his 5,000-mile plateau marker, uh-huh. and uh, which we did which we did. He's got 5,100 and something miles. Uh, 
Terrific. And Congratulations. Yes, I'm very, very pleased. He deserved that, and we had a lot of fun doing it. And so now I am going to hopefully train up and do a few more 50s, but I just want to enjoy them now. I've always treated endurance riding not so much as a competition but as an adventure, and I've gone at it that way, and I've looked at the the flowers along the way and the birds mm-hmm. and the trees and grasses and enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, <laughs> I've had my spectacular crashes. I remember on the American River, I was busy looking at a yellow rose bush in the middle of nowhere on the Sierra Trail, and the trail took a sharp left, and so Uh-oh. did Billy, and I took a very somersaulting right Jeez. and got th- oh, three no. ribs broken. Three ribs broken, and that kind of held me back for a couple of months. But mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't stop me from enjoying the rides and and treating each one as an adventure, and one that I want to bring my horse back happy and sound. And you've done a great job. You guys are a decade team together. How many years have you competed with Dusty? Um. Well. He's got over 5,050s uh, and up, and mm-hmm. then he's got a couple, a few hundred on the LDs, which I will probably break, you know, do some more LDs this year to see how my aging muscles and bones and his aging muscles and bones take to the, um, to the program again, the endurance program. But I just love going out there. It's it's better than a holiday, better, better than traveling <laughs> for me. Oh, I think there's a little bit of traveling involved in your rides. Well, yeah, I competed in five western states. That's pretty and cool. And not just the Pony Express, but um, I did Outlaw Trail. Billy and I did Outlaw Trail in Utah, and I've done the Grand Canyon rides, which were, both of them were just spectacular rides. Yeah. Well, but you... I, I, Connie, you are such an inspiration to anybody listening to this to go out and ride and, and how you obviously um, are passionate about riding in the out of doors and encouraging others to do that. For someone who is inspired by what you do and they want to take up um, endurance riding, what do you think is the most spectacularly, visually beautiful venue that you can compete in that you have gone to? Um. Rides in Northern California are really beautiful with the redwoods and the trails through the trees. Um, Pony Express ride um, was just breathtaking to me. I mean, I've, I've done some hunting back in Pennsylvania when I was at college, but and I thought that was pretty good and exciting riding. But when I rode the Pony Express Trail, the real one, the Dave Nicholson's ride, you know, on the real trail, I saw parts of Nevada that were just stunning. We went down canyons through canyons where the wild roses were so thick, you'd think that you had walked into a Crabtree and Evelyn store with the aroma just surrounding you. And wildflowers of every shape and, and, and color, paint, Indian paintbrushes, um, the wild mustangs, uh, even the rattlesnakes that we <laughs> trotted by occasionally. 
the uh, antelope in the distance. It was just gorgeous. And to think that this was trail was put through in 1860, 1861 mm-hmm. by the early settlers and the pioneers. This country is just amazing once you get out of the cities and on and sure on the is. back of a horse who watches the trail and takes care of you and you take care of him and enjoy the scenery. It's pretty well, breathtaking. But, you've certainly uh, done that. You're an inspiration, and um, we really appreciate you talking to us today, and we wish you um, good luck with all your future goals and your writing, and thanks again for joining us. Well, you're very welcome. I'm honored to be on the program, and I just want to tell people, don't don't give up just because there's some health setbacks. Just set your goals and say, I'm going to do it, and, and have fun, and make sure your horse is healthy and happy, too. Good advice. That's about it. <laughs> Well, that was an interview with Connie Berto is her name. She is a Centurion Endurance Rider, which means that her and her horse combined have equal 100 years. Karen, what a fascinating interview. What a neat lady, huh? It is. And she also, one of the things we talked about offline was her secret to longevity. Do you know what that is? You know, it always is surprising when, when... so, you know, it always is surprising when somebody, you find out the secret longevity, and it's always something that's weird, like I've smoked 12 packs of cigarettes every day. <laughs> no, this is even better than that. This is, uh, I think a lot of endurance writers will relate to this. Her secret for longevity, she told us, was every day she and her husband drink a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you it was always something like that. <laughs> You know, if I drank, if we did that, if my wife and I did that, we'd get nothing done. We'd be sleeping all the time. We'd like, I come with those. Oh, that's great. That's funny. Well, let's uh, let's do this. Uh, we're going to hear from one of our great sponsors, and then I have a Templeton Thompson song that we haven't played yet, a brand new one called "The Faraway Horses." And we're going to come back with another guest by the name of Barbara White, and she has competed in the Tevis Cup. 32. She has completed the Tevis Cup 32 times. So we're going to talk to her in just a few minutes. But first, High Visibility North America, the distributors for UK's number one high visibility performance sportswear range for equestrians, horses, and canines. They supply the police forces, thousands of equestrians, the Queen's household cavalry, and uh, pretty much everybody that's anybody in England uses this range of uh, high-visibility sportswear. It's uh, functional. It will keep you safe whether you're in the woods during hunting season, riding out on the road in the trail, doing endurance riding. Uh, it's fashionable from everyone to eventers and dressage riders and western riders and trail riders love it. It, it fit. It's made for riders. That is the big difference. And they're having a sale right now in their winter coats. You can hop on right over to uh, highvisibilitysportswear.com. That's highvisibilitysportswear.com. And you will find that they, they have their winter coats and things marked way down. And as we heard earlier in the show, winter is still here, and another blast of it is coming to the East Coast. So get your high-visibility sportswear right now. 
And now it's time for a little Pimbleton Thompson with the Faraway Horses. Well, that was Templeton Thompson with a song called The Faraway Horses. You can find all of her music at templetonthompson.com. You are listening to Horses in the Morning. It is Endurance Day. I have Karen Chatton here with me. I am Glenn the Geek, and Coach Jen is producing the show today. And we're brought to you today by Action Rider Tack. You can find all of their terrific endurance trail products 
at actionridertack.com. Well, we are on the show on Horses in the Morning tomorrow morning. We have the EquityMFG.com Celebrity Trivia Challenge. It's a new game that we started last week. Karen probably hasn't even heard about it yet, where we invite a – I know, and it was fun last week. We had uh, Olympian Gina Miles on with us out of California, and she played one of our listeners in a trivia three-round trivia game. And the winner, we have fantastic prizes. If the listener wins, then they win the prizes. If the celebrity wins, they donate the prizes to the charity of their choice. So this week, tomorrow, we have the owner of Mucho Macho Man, winner of the Breeders' Cup Classic last year, Dean Reeves, the owner of Mucho Macho Man, will be on. And what is up for grabs is a signed Mucho Macho Man poster of, uh, that, that uh, any racing fan would love to have in their collection. So you'll be playing Dean Reeves tomorrow morning, and we'll, we'll pick a, uh, a player to do that. The way you can get registered to play is just go to horsesinthemorning.com, and there's a place to sign up for the celebrity trivia. You'll see it right in the middle of the page. Click on that, go sign up, and then you'll be signed up from now on. We'll notify you about uh, a day in advance, and if you're free, yeah, you'll get to play the game. But we picked completely at random, and we would love to have you sign up for that. It's the Celebrity Trivia Challenge at HorsesInTheMorning.com. It's a lot of fun. And Gina was terrific last week. She, uh, she just had so much fun with it, and the listener happened to be a huge fan of Gina Miles, so it, it couldn't have worked out any better. It was really cute. Good. Yeah. And we're going to have, we're working on some other big name celebrities. Uh, Jennifer would love to get Kaylee Cuco from Big Bang Theory, but uh, there's this little thing getting in our way of that. It's called her agent. So we're having a little trouble uh-huh. with the, the barriers. But wouldn't it be fun to have her on? It would. It would. She's a horse. Are we ready, yeah. are we ready to um, talk to Barbara? I think, I okay, think let me, we're let me just in- ready. Yep. Let me, let me introduce her real quick. Barbara White, who happens to be, for those that don't know, Julie Spurs' daughter. And Barbara holds the record with 32 Tevis completions. She has over 11,000 miles. Her mother also has 22 buckles herself. So they're quite the endurance family. We're going to talk to Barbara about the 27,000-acre American fire last year that damaged the Sweeney Bridge and parts of the trail that the Tevis Cup goes through and what it means for the upcoming ride in 2014. So, and we also want to talk to her a little bit about all the work that's involved all year long by all of the volunteers that keep the trail maintained, plus also all the volunteers that work on the actual Tevis Cup ride because it's not just um, work that's required on the day of the ride, but it's an all-around, all-year-long commitment from many, many, many people that contribute to keeping this event alive and keeping the trail open. So welcome, Barbara. Are you there? I am. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, well, give us a little bit of an overview of what happened with that fire and what did it do to the trail? How much damage did it do? Well, luckily, um, <clears throat> Mother Nature did wait until after our event in 2013. The fire uh, was started in August. Um, I'm not sure of the origin. It, perhaps it was campers with a, a campfire that went wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Uh, 
it was hard to stop because that's in a very remote area. And I think it probably burned about 15 to 20 miles of the trail. Um, luckily, unfortunately, we are going in a, into a drought, but uh, it did provide us with a fall uh, with very, uh, very good weather for crews to go in early. Now, um, the trail is closed right now, and it will be to the public, but the U.S. Forest Service and um, people from the Western States Endurance Run, which is our sister event, and the ride, were able to get in there early and, and do some erosion control and really see what, is, what has happened. Um, there will be an event in 2014 if it is planned mm -hmm. for the traditional trail, so that's good, good news. Um, uh, the efforts have been incredible. Uh, I just can't say enough about the work ethic and the passion that the trail volunteers have for this. It's hard work. Um, they've been going in since the fire, and that'll be that'll be the big effort for the trail committee this year. Obviously, every year Mother Nature provides the trail committee with plenty of work to do, just in in a, in a normal year with the weather. <laughs> this year, she, she uh, mm -hmm. really blindsided the uh, the events. Um, but um, for the ride, we have no choice except to go through those canyons. Uh, runners perhaps could find another route, but we can't take horses on the road. So we will be going through the canyons. They will look quite a bit different. Um, of course, I haven't been in there. I don't. Very few people have been in. But uh, one thing the ride is going to do to try to ameliorate the situation with uh, lack of shade is uh, there will be more water troughs out there. Uh, to keep the horses oh, cool, and uh, you know, once once we get out of Deadwood, it'll, it'll look the same it always has. So basically, the burned areas for those who know the trail were from Robinson Flat to Deadwood, and uh, the Pucker Point Trail, I believe, is now ready to go. And it'll look different, but it's been cleared. There will always be a concern of some mm -hmm. of the the hazard trees that might go down because they've been weakened. Um, but every year. Uh, Scouts go out, you know, within 24 hours of the ride to make sure a tree hasn't gone down. So I don't think this will require any extra effort except to keep monitoring the trail, keep making sure. And the people who pre-ride, if you see something, uh, please inform uh, the ride that the, a tree has gone down. You know, whether we're out there or not, things are happening in the forest all the time. Sure. Well, tell what about the swinging bridge? What will they do in order to run the ride around that if it's not able to be fixed in time? Okay. Well, first of all, it will not be fixed for the 2014 okay. ride. Now, um, Karen, you've ridden that ride a number of times. Um, I know, um, unless it's an unusually cool year, that I take my horse down to the water below the swinging bridge um, mm -hmm. and usually go in and really give the horse a good cooling before climbing up to Devil's Thumb. Um, what it will mean for people who normally do that is instead of climbing up and going across the swinging bridge is you will just cross the river and come out the other side. This has been done, um, you know, some people have done it by choice for years. It really depends on the river level. This year they think it will be low enough um, so the challenge for the, the uh, trail committee will be just to make sure there's a, a good trail on the other side um, to climb back up. Uh, in a way, I think it's a good thing. It'll, it'll force all the riders, whether you know they're in a hurry or not, to get their horses cooled off just by crossing the river. Mm -hmm. That said, <clears throat> I, don't, excuse me, I don't think we can count on it for every year. 
being able to do it this way. And uh, so the preliminary estimates on the cost of of, um, rebuilding the bridge are, uh, you know, it's going to cost about $150,000. Wow. So that is huge. And anybody who would like to donate, you know, please (laughs) donate to this effort. Now, we do have, it will probably be a three-way project in terms of funding. The other parts would be the endurance run. And incidentally, I understand they'll be rafting their runners across. A a horse can cross the river. The runners probably don't want to swim across, so they will use rafts. Um, Will it be that deep? um, Will it be very deep? We don't know. The water? Okay. We we don't think so. We don't think so for this year, but anything can happen. And so the, 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 the run, as you know, um, crosses the Air- American River down below where we have our Francisco's vet check. Some years they raft, some years they go across holding onto a cable. So the, the, the run is used to this kind of flexibility. This will just be a different location for them. Horses okay. obviously aren't going across in rafts, so um, we will ford <laughs> the river. But, uh, you know, I think if you look five years into the future, to have a year when we can actually cross easily, probably, you know, there'll probably be a showstopper. So I think there'll be a big fundraising effort. Um, the third Thank entity you. is the Forest Service. Um, it's Forest Service land. So. And how long was the bridge there? Well, um, the archaeologists uh, uh, say that it, it, it looks like the bridges that were constructed between 1913 and 1920. So it was in that time period. Um, It was 110 feet long. Uh, You've seen the photos. Part of the structure still stands. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely not safe and it can't be patched up. So that's that's the $150,000. Now, for those familiar with the trail, you may remember before you get down to that bridge, there is a little bridge that you cross going down the canyon. And that one Mm -hmm. is uh, called Pacific Slab Bridge. And that one will be repaired um, by the trail crew. They're trying to get, you know, donations of uh, some supplies uh, from places such as Home Depot or oh, whatever. That one, that one will be fixed. So, um, oh, good, good. But again, well, tell us, tell us some I'm more about the say, trail volunteers and all of their efforts and the work they do and some of the equipment that they use when they go in to do this kind of work. All right. First of all. Um, Hats off to the community surrounding that trail. Uh, they are passionate about it, and they work year-round. It doesn't take a fire to get these people motivated. Right, and right. Um, uh, the people who are actually doing the, the hard work on the trail are, are, have been vetted out. Uh, it's public land, so they have to go through a, a whole process of certification with um, taking wilderness first aid classes. Uh, Many of them are trail masters uh, through the AERC program. And Mm -hmm. then they have um, chainsaw certification and um, that sort of thing. Now, uh, one thing that complicates it is, as you know, different parts of the trail are designated in different ways. So Granite Chief, that spectacular area where we go through the bogs, as a wilderness Mm -hmm. um, is protected, but on the other hand, you can't take power tools in there. You can't drive right. in there. So mm-hmm. that's very difficult. Other sections, we have a trail machine. We are allowed to use. The canyons were designated 
uh, an historic place because of the gold rush history. That sounded great until we learned that to do anything in there, the archaeologists had to do a report first. So what I'm saying is uh, energetic people with tools can't just march in when they feel like it and repair the trail. It, it's a, right, a long right. process of permits mm-hmm. and then organization mm-hmm. and, and then a good day to work, assemble the supplies. So the, um, the Tebbets works very closely with the run, with a core trail committee. Uh, supplies are all in a shed there by the uh, Tebbets office. If you go to the website, you'll see their uh, specific trail days, trail work days. And because of this fire, there is a new website specifically about the American fire and how people can help. And this also lists the trail days and the, and the parts of the trail they'll be working on. So that, um, that is... Okay, what, uh, is that, what is that address? That, that address is wstrail.org. Okay. So okay. that will give you all the up-to-date information as to what's going on, if you want to donate your time, that is where you would sign up. If you want to donate uh, money, there's the donation button for that. Uh, they're always looking mm-hmm. for good volunteers. All the volunteers, I'm sure, don't have to be chainsaw certified. If you can just make peanut butter sandwiches for the crew, you know, any kind of help is appreciated. Um, now, because of the focus, and I think this is very exciting, because of the focus on the American Fire Restoration. Uh, you would wonder about the rest of the trail. Well, we've just learned that we're going to have um, 8 to 12 AmeriCorps volunteers uh, work on the rest of the trail for just the normal brushing. And um, so that's very exciting. They will be staged out of uh, Forest Hill, and we think they'll be there uh, for about eight weeks. So the trail should be in great shape this year. Um, Very excited about that. The last couple of times I've ridden it, it's been wonderful. It's just they they have done a fantastic job and that's why I want really appreciate you being on so we can give them a shout out because they deserve all of our gratitude and appreciation for all the work that they do I know it's a lot of work when they go hiking down those canyons and have to carry all of that gear with them and they're out there for hours well you're absolutely right Karen and hats off to Kathy Perry who became very concerned about the width of the trail shrinking with natural erosion. Uh-huh. And uh, mm-hmm. those cliffside trails uh, can be hazardous if they're not widened. And so a real effort in the last few years has been put forth basically to make the trail safer. And when you're on a horse, that means you need a little more width than a runner. And so uh-huh. it, it has been beautiful um, you know, the the year we, because of snow, that we went out and back from Auburn and were able to see that California loop twice in both directions, I was awestruck myself by how uh-huh. it, what beautiful and safe shape the trail was in. And so they're continuing on with that. The AmeriCorps volunteers should allow that uh, to free up um, our, our core people to go in and, and take care of that fire. So it's Good. an exciting Good. time. Um, and, of course, there are many other ways to volunteer, too, you know, on, on ride day. Um, but it, it is a year-round effort, and you wonder why. Well, this trail is different than many of the AARC rides, and it is, it's 100 miles of point to point. You know, we're mm-hmm. not moving around. So that means every vet stop is in a separate location. Um, and they're all remote. It, mm-hmm. And uh, it's 100 miles, which 
doesn't mean you just deal with one land agency. You know, we're dealing with the Forest <laughs> Service. We're dealing with state parks. We're dealing with private landowners every year, permits, contracts, and so forth. All of this takes a lot of time. Um, the the Forest Hill Mill site is, is private property. And, uh, you know, we negotiate with that man uh, every year to allow us to have our vet stop there. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a lot of hoops to jump through before ride day. But uh, I think we can always say confidently that we'll pull something off because of the passion of the people who are working to make it happen. Yes, they're really dedicated, aren't they? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's something yes, about that yes. trail that that draws them in in many different ways. And and, uh, and and obviously you're one of them. You've been drawn in to complete it 32 times. What yes. keeps you coming back over and over? You know, that's a good question. I just know <laughs> that the years I haven't ridden, I've been very miserable going through withdrawal. So there, there is an addictive uh-huh. quality to it. I think um, I like the fact that it's a historic trail, you know, that I am, I am lots of the miles or miles that have been, you know, that the gold miners were on, that the immigrants were on, that the Native Americans were on. There's that whole aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it's a point-to-point. When you climb uh-huh. up out of Squaw Valley and up on those ridges, just keep going west and you'll get to Auburn. And uh-huh. I, mean, I hate to be too corny, but, but that's the American dream. We've always gone west, you know, seeking something uh-huh. better. And so there's that element. Of course, the natural beauty of the trail. It, it's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous trail. Um, it keeps changing. So it, it's never, oh, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, but it's the same uh-huh. beauty. No, it keeps changing. Uh, and then there's nothing like a full moon night and being out there with a horse uh, heading west. There's just something very magical about it. And then, of course, there are the people. It's almost a gathering of the clan every year. You know, we come mm-hmm. together. Um, and, and so there's that good social aspect of it. Um, okay. I don't know. Well, I suppose it's about, all... Tell us Go about ahead. the educational ride coming up in July for, for people that might want to ride it or just want to go experience a little bit of the trail, even if they know they might never actually get to do the Tevis. Okay. Well, this year, the, the educational ride with mentors is, is held every other year. And the reason for that is that um, a lot of the same volunteers who are working year-round are also working the educational ride and the Tavis Cup ride itself. So uh, the plan is to take a break and every other year have the educational ride and then in the, the other years have the uh, fun ride. And so this okay. year actually will be a fun ride, but it's Okay. It's a it's a fun ride with extra frills in that they are planning to have in the evening um lectures and talks and uh Terrific. uh so by being a fun ride, how is that different than the educational ride? Well the question would be on a fun ride basically you're on your own. Now that doesn't mean if you come up there and don't know a soul, you're gonna to have to go out on an unfamiliar trail. People get together, they they determine what direction they wanna go, how far they wanna go and work it out for themselves. So okay. while I'm sure there will be vets in camp just because a lot of vets enjoy this as well, um, there won't be the vet checks we have on the Ed Ride. But it's a great opportunity for anyone okay. to see the trail. If you just want to see it for the first time and decide if this event is for you or not, there's that. If you just love the trail right. but would like to be have a camping spot, 
that forest hill mill site will be open for four days. Um, the rest of the year it's closed. So it's an opportunity uh, for anyone to come. I think it will get a good turnout. There will be vendors there selling food. Um, okay. It's still, Terry Reed is in charge of it. It's still, the plans are still being formed. Um, okay. But then and next year in 2015 will be the, the more traditional ride with mentors and vet checks and so forth. Okay, well, Barbara, we appreciate you being here. You're quite the ambassador for Western States Trail Foundation, and we loved all this information you shared with us. Thank you so much, and have a Thank good you, ride Karen. this year. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, bye. Bye. Well, that was fascinating to hear all about that. And Jennifer posted a picture of the bridge before and after the swinging bridge during the, of the Tevis, and, boy, it did get to take a lot of damage. I know a lot of people were holding their breath during that fire, everybody was so concerned about what it was doing to the trail. And, you know, it's a sad thing to see a historic trail like that. But, you know, it, it is nature, and um, unfortunately it did do some damage, but um, we'll still keep doing the ride, it looks like, with all these great volunteers chipping in to help and being so dedicated. It's just wonderful. And, re- and checking out some of the other pictures uh, while you guys were talking of below the bridge where she was talking about uh, crossing. Uh-huh. There are a few of those uh, little rocks, so those little boulders you talked about. There are. The those are real boulders in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> you have to cross. And that water is always so refreshing. I always go take my horse down in there for a drink and to cool them off. And um, it's so crystal clear. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And it's good to get cooled off before that big long climb up out of that canyon well let's continue on here let's talk about green bean groups what are green bean groups green bean groups green bean groups are popping up all over social media and they have been designed to help new endurance riders and there's several groups uh, many of them are regional based on the region of the country um, it, it's for riders called green beans green bean endurance which the group's description is it's not easy being green. And, of course, green refers to being new or inexperienced to the sport of endurance. A rookie. So the goal is to keep our green beans on the same vine. So if you're new to endurance or your horse is new to endurance and you would like to, um, or if you want to be a mentor, you can help the newbies get going down the trail. And that would make you a green bean. And so the the new green riders and horses and mentors are all welcome. And they have a mission. Number one is to support riders who are new to endurance or have a new horse to endurance by connecting them to one or more mentors. And two, to promote the the formation of local green bean groups in order to receive individualized in-person mentoring from someone who knows the rider and the horse and also to help them with their local area and local rides. And it's been a lot of fun. I've been watching the conversations on some of these various groups, and it's great. The new writers are able to ask questions, and the experienced writers are able to help answer them. And it's a little bit, you know, personalized because it's um, they have you know different areas like Southern California, the Pacific Northwest, and so if someone's interested in learning more about Green Bean, um, go to Facebook and type in Green Bean Endurance and you'll be able to join one of those groups and start participating. 
What a great idea, and what a you know what a way for social media to help because it is it is intimidating any new sport you get into, especially when it involves horses. It's intimidating unless you have somebody to help you along, and especially with a very specialized sport that uh, requires mm-hmm. you to go great distances like endurance. I can see where this would be a good thing. Good, terrific. Well, uh-huh. now uh, we have to go into the upcoming events. Uh, the upcoming events segment of today's show is brought to you by Renegade Who Foods and. And Karen, you are on yes. the cover of Renegade Hoop Foods. Yes, I've been using Renegades for a long time, and I get to give them a little plug here. I use them all four days at the Eastern Mojave Ride, and they work so good on my horses. They're easy to use. They come in all different colors. They're so customizable. If you, for example, I use a different size on one of my horse's front hooves, and a different size on the other front hoof. And it works. I just, you know, you just figure out what works, get your sizing right, and then you're all set. And you go down the trail. I had a, a great ride. My horses went through all of the various terrains. The wearing boots through the deep sand, it's almost like having horseshoes. So they don't get strained as much going through the sand. They go through the rocks equally well with, you know, full protection on the bottom of their feet, plus the captivators protect their heel bulbs really well. And then when I'm done, I just rinse the boots off and let them dry out, and they're ready to go again the next time. It's a great product made in the USA, and they come in several different colors. Uh, they've got a couple of different models. The, the best way to get individualized help is just to give the company a call um, go to renegadehoofboots.com, and you can learn more about them there. And, of course, if somebody has questions, you know, feel free to send me a message through my blog or through Facebook, and I'll try to help you. Very good. And coming up okay. over the next uh, month here? And coming up, we've got some rides, of course. We've got Racing Stripes 1 and 2, February 15th and 16th in the central region, Mount Pleasant, Texas. It's a 25-50-75 and a 25-50 plus an intro ride. Then in the southeast region, we've got far, far, having trouble with that, Far Out Forest, February 15th and 16th in Altoona, Florida, 25-50-75 and a 25-50 on the second day. Um, then the next ride I'm probably going to be going to is 20 Mule Team, February 22nd. It's in the Pacific South region in Ridgecrest, California. It's a 35, a 65, and a 100. The Fun in the Sun Pioneer is February 27th through March 1st in the Southeast region in Williston, Florida. And it's got several distances on 50, 75 the first day, then a 25, 50, 75. And on the third day, a 25, 55, 75, and 100. Then we have the old Pueblo Pioneer, February 28th through March 2nd in the southwest region in Sonoida, Arizona. And it's three days, 25.50, a 30.55, and another 25.50. If you'd like to see more rides, check the AERC ride calendar at aerc.org and look up um, to the left, ride calendar. And then you can go to your region or area of the country or um, pull up. You can make a custom ride calendar um, for the entire year, if you like, and um, pull up all of the rides that are in your area or that you might want to travel to. 
Very good. Thank you, Karen. And Jennifer, you know, the Williston, Florida one is right down the street. So uh, you could go do your first 25. We'd take you 10 minutes to get there. So that would be that's great. Real close. Real close. <laughs> you, could, you could almost <laughs> ride there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not 10 so minutes much. away. No, no okay. not so much. Not, not with Jennifer's quarter horse. By the time she got there, the horse would be done and she'd never make the 25. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but you could volunteer, maybe you could uh, volunteer that weekend. Yeah, volunteering sounds like a good time. Yeah, you could go put those little light sticks up on the course at night. I can do that. Do that. <laughs> I can totally. Well, do that's that. it for this month's endurance day. Thank you so much, Karen, for getting up early to join us. We really appreciate it. Sure. And uh, we, Karen joins us on the second Tuesday of every month. So if you uh, want to hear more of her, you can go back to the past episodes at HorsesInTheMorning.com. And you can find Karen on her blog. What's the blog again? It's KarenChatton.com. Just like it sounds, KarenChatton.com. And don't forget to sign up to play the EquityMSG.com Celebrity Trivia Challenge tomorrow. The owner of Mucho Macho Man, Dean Reeves, will be with us. You can find the links to today's guests and show notes at HorsesInTheMorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you can follow the Horse Radio Network on Twitter at Horse Radio. And all of the different shows, we do 11 different shows. You can find us on our app. It's our free app at iPhone or Android. If you're an endurance rider, that's probably the best way for you to listen while you're driving or even out riding or cleaning stalls. You could just go, whether you have an iPhone or an Android, go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. That's it for this week, Karen. We wish you the best of luck, and we'll talk to you again next month. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you then.